but yeah. there's been a good breeze. I was trying to get down Mullen earlier, that big straightaway that kind of leads out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it's hard enough to get the Jeep going, but there were just Montana plane winds fucking whipping <laughs> into my windshield. I couldn't get the bastard above 35. I was like, come on, you on aerodynamic piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Jeep oh, life. You wanted it out here, so. And it's living. <laughs> just turned three years old the other day. I paid about $3,000 for it, so a grand a year. No car payment. <laughs> there you go. Well, mine will be paid off at the end of next year. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and then you just, to, to keep up with my numbers, have to keep it for another, like, 24 years. No, it was only, <laughs> it was only like, 11000 oh. I've had it for, uh, I think by the end of my payments, I'll have had it for five years, so I'd only have to keep it for another six. Fuck yeah. Which I probably won't do, because <laughs> I'd like to have a bigger car. Somebody did not listen to Dave Ramsey nope. growing up. I'm not, I mean, I'll keep it for a couple of years and save up some money to put down on the next one, but I want something that, like, that's, like, been my biggest, or the bane of my existence with all the moving and stuff we've done. Like, I moved in with you, and then we moved across the country. I was like, nothing fits in my car. Let me get a big SUV, bitch. Yeah, I hardly fit in your car. It's <laughs> true. My knees are in your dashboard. That I'm just true. like, okay, well, this is how That's we live. That's what the seat pushed back as far as it goes. You are so tall. I'm not. I'm only 6'2". Yeah, well, my car's not it's that an small. Asian car intended for Asian people. Uh-huh. And with that offensive comment, welcome to the Nightmare Box. <laughs> Presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name's Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, and for the last time on record... Kristen Pennington. <laughs> Why is that, Kristen? Because uh, as of the airing of this episode, we'll be married. We'll be married. We got married <laughs> yesterday, your time, uh, less than a week our time. Yeah, five days from now. Yeah, Kristen went and got her hair cut. She's taken a no drinking thing to... Uh, Minus today. Slow the swelling in her face. I don't well, fully no, understand when it. You, when you <laughs> drink alcohol, it causes your body to, like, bloat. So I don't want to She's have, like, he's not going to love my face. I don't want to have a chubby face the day of. The day so. that we just stand in the stairwell of the courthouse while the yeah, protesters well, scream outside. I, I went and bought a $30 dress, and I want to <laughs> not look bloated in my $30 dress. We get to put together my suit starting tomorrow. Uh, through Goodwill trips is my entire plan for doing this. I've got a $30 allotment, and I might just spend the whole thing on a crazy blazer. I told Becky about that blazer while I was on the phone yeah. with her earlier. I was like, he, it, it I was, was like, it, I, he's not going to do this to me. It's like a charcoal gray blazer, but it's got this massively hideous Ed Hardy fucking thing going bedazzled. on in the background. It's all bedazzled and shit. Yeah, I, and I was like, her. I'm going to walk in like the gothic fucking Elvis Presley. I told her about that, and she was cracking up. I was like, I can't let him do this to me. <laughs> I was like, this is not... This started off as a joke, and it was funny until I realized he's actually serious? going to Goodwill trying to hunt down a green blazer. Well, I thought you'd get, like, a weird tweed suit that would just look like you belonged in the 70s. Not that was my initial bedazzled. plan, but then I saw, like, the rhinestone cowboy fucking mm-hmm. blazer, and I was like, I, uh, I've got $30. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just buy you a fancy blazer and then have jeans and a t-shirt yeah. under it. <laughs> well, the whole the whole reason I'm doing it is because I'm riddled with anxiety on any given day of the week. I know I'm going to be an anxious mess, and I'm, I'm dressed like a complete ass. I can still feel <laughs> like I'm fighting the system while I'm a part of the system. 
It's like I didn't spend eight hundred dollars on a fucking you know tuxedo and you know pay for all my buddies' tuxedos. Would you have just? I known? spent thirty dollars on shit that doesn't match from Goodwill, and you'll never forget that. And I'll get to keep that ensemble, and I'll hang it up, and oh, people God. will go, "What'd you get married in?" And bust out like a oh, lime green coat. <laughs> No, Purple I'll, pants. I'll take photos. There'll be evidence. <laughs> big um, orange tie. Do you think you would have no-showed the wedding out of anxiety if we had done, like, a whole big production? Uh, for sure. <laughs> you would have been like, I'm not coming. Yeah. <laughs> I would have, like, taken you and the fucking god dude. Um. <laughs> god dude. The preacher? <laughs> pastor? I don't know. Well, it, it, I'm technically a Catholic, so I would have to find a priest, and you would have yeah. had to spend a year converting to Catholicism, and that would have been fun. You can just get someone ordained. You can have a friend You can't ordained. do that as a Catholic. It has to be a priest. Yeah, we're doing a civil ceremony, though. I know, because I don't believe in God, but <laughs> the state thinks I do, so that's the one I, they think I do. <laughs> you could do a civil ceremony, not at a courthouse. <laughs> yeah, but then I would be excommunicated by the church. It's a whole fucking complicated <laughs> situation. Well, I'm going to call them and tell on you, because... Yeah. <laughs> You're still not doing it properly. Yeah, and if I was a true Catholic, that would riddle me with even more anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm going to call the church and tell on you meant a shitload more back when Jesus was around. <laughs> so you would have taken me and the God dude? Do what? I said, so you would have taken me and the God dude? Yeah, we would have had to like sneak off to the side and be like, okay, you may now kiss the bride. All right, mm-hmm. cool. And then he'd just stand there all confused. I'd be like, now just run out there and tell him that we're married and, <laughs> and we'll meet him in the bar. I'm glad that they showed up and ate off really fancy plates and we inconvenienced their Thursday. <laughs> Which, uh, we don't even know if you have off work. Yeah, I don't so. even know. I might be leaving work, getting in my crazy fucking suit, driving over to the fucking courthouse, walking in there, like, all panicked out, and then have to go back and get out. I might go back to work in my crazy suit. Keep working with the dogs and just... No, you'd be miserable. You, you see me in the crazy suit just, like, scooping dog shit in the play yard? Like, no. It's would... like, who's that schizophrenic? What the fuck is he doing here? The funny thing's going to be when they go, um, sir, are you on any narcotics right now? And I have to look at them and go, no, I am dead ass sober. It is noon on a Thursday. What am I, a degenerate? <laughs> <laughs> This is for my love for Doug Stanhope. I am. I had the idea while I was drinking and watching his specials. Legitimately terrified. Like, I knew you were serious a little bit, but I thought you were mostly just fucking with me. Like, you're gonna. Like, I'm gonna put together something halfway respectable out of Goodwill shit. Maybe. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's possible. Nope. If I find a Don't flower, purposely if I have find a, the worst I, thing you can find. If I find a flower that squirts water, I'm squirting you in the face when he no, says you may just, not kiss the bride. No, I just went. And what t-shirt out. contest? I just went and picked out flowers today. You can't wear a. I'll hide a water flower no, in the middle of it. No. <laughs> this big ridiculous sunflower sticking mm. off of my chest. <laughs> uh, why, why are you making this miserable for me? No, I'm trying to make it fun for you. Oh. There's no bachelor party, there's no bachelorette party, there's no family to be involved, it's just me and you at the courthouse, and I don't know those fucking people, so <laughs> why not? Their lives are boring, I'm getting married with a mask on. <laughs> well, squirt the judge, then don't squirt me. Yeah, you may now... <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'll kiss her when I want to kiss her. She does not have my consent. <laughs> This is going to be a story for sure one That's day. That's the point. 
People are like, you want to remember your wedding day as something special. And then they, they pay too much fucking money. They stress themselves out. They get in fights the whole fucking night. They just, you know, shake hand after hand after hand. And you can't do that now because the pandemic, which I'm sure is over, just like the race war. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a girl at work last week. I'm bipolar. The apocalypse is happening. I'm wearing a green suit. Why green? I'm going to find a Christmas sweater. What? <laughs> Why's it gotta be green? That's so loud. Okay. I know, because that's the funny part. Do a red like, suit or something. It's ooh. equally bright, it's just not as obnoxious. Go in like Ron Burgundy, yeah, looking like a, your grandmother's couch. Yeah, do a red suit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could live with that a bit more than I could live with a green suit. The, the textured one, where it's just, you know, it's like ribbed. Sure. For her pleasure. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> like a smoker suit from the 40s. Alright, you were saying your friend at work? Oh, uh, no, I was talking to a girl. Okay, uh, she's work. not your friend, but oh, now I, if she hears I'd, this, I'd she's never gonna be deeply her. offended. I'd never met her before so not really like she just happens to work there um but no i was talking to her last week and she was nice i'd i'd never talked to her before now you're making me feel self-conscious about it <laughs> i don't know her. what are the chances that she finds this <laughs> but she was saying at her wedding they what had kind of creepy ass research is she doing into your past that she stumbled across you on th- this far into the show and give up on the fucking green tuxedo <laughs> fucking stuck around but no, she was uh, saying her wedding had 200 guests, and she was like, yeah, it was actually... I don't know 200 yeah, people well, that yeah. I would want well, in my they, vicinity. She said they invited 100, and it ended up being 200 people. Yeah, because they bring and, people. Yeah, and she was like, it was so stressful. Just had to spend the whole night like trying to be like, thanks for coming. Good Who to are have you. you. <laughs> Whose side of the family are you from? <laughs> yeah, I could like, Are you like a distant relative of me or some person Kristen's never heard of? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've ever been to a wedding that large. I would die. I was like, I would literally go hide somewhere for an hour just to have some peace yeah. <laughs> if we had a wedding that big it would be a nightmare i would have many a panic attack and so i cap 20 at a really nice barbecue evening <laughs> where i show up and i don't have to drive home you know <laughs> like designated dd amongst our friends for brett and Kristen, and we just get fucking crazy sloppy with our friends and immediate family oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, I'm glad it's not more we'll do Jaeger bombs with my mom. Oh, gross. Who does Jaeger bombs? The, the teenager that lives inside of me. You degenerate. I'm going to wear the same bombs. suit. I'm going to throw up on it. <laughs> I'm not going to dry clean it. I'm going to hang it up in the closet gross. for 30 years. Gross. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I will throw it away. <laughs> you don't throw away my... What if I threw away your wedding gown? If it had vomit on it, I would... I would, And I wanted to keep it in the closet. I would hope you would. <laughs> no. Let me let me be an artist. You can keep it in. I'm gonna I'm gonna display it 30 years from now as some sort of performance piece. Put it back on. It'll crinkle. Oh God, that's disgusting. <laughs> you were so uncomfortable with happy things. You're just trying to make this like as awkward as you can. No, just like with the suit in real life, I'm trying to make it funny because that makes me happy. Because yes, I you am. Can, as I said three times already, you riddled with anxiety. Vomit on it and then put it in an airtight shadow box so that the smell can never escape, and that's the only okay. way that you can keep it that way. You know, the funniest way to do that would be like <laughs> just like eat all the wedding food, like whatever we're gonna eat on our wedding night. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yes, we haven't discussed it at all. Probably <laughs> if steak. I, if I did it in the suit. 
and then just laid the suit down on the ground and went full-blown bulimia on you and be like, that is our wedding dinner. You were disgusting. I know. (laughs) I've reached insurmountable lows in my life. (laughs) Are you trying to reach new ones? Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm very fucking excited. I'm so happy that, like, we're together and that we're getting married. I'm, I'm fucking blown away by the whole thing and the support that we've received has been really, yeah, really phenomenal. Sweet. Yeah, we just, weren't going to do a wedding registry at all and people kept bugging us about yeah. it and so people keep sending us gifts now and it's like, oh. One of my dad's old Air Force buddies replaced my uh, dad's old toolkit, basically. It got stolen out of my Jeep a little while ago. I had a cry moment over that whole situation like a man. Not like a little girl. I didn't curl up. There were a ball. man tears. There were man silent man tears. <laughs> there you go. Just streaming out of my face and then I would just God damn it and I'd, I'd rub my <laughs> face. So <laughs> we got a new coffee pot. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Your old yeah, coffee the pot. The problem is uh, Brett had a nervous breakdown several years ago where he was convinced that there was a person living in his closet. Go back, listen to all those episodes. And in the middle of that there was kids playing ding-dong ditch in the neighborhood and it used to scare the fuck out of me probably because i was smoking a lot of weed back then not gonna lie to you and so when you're smoking weed in the south and it's not legal on any level the cops will still send you to jail for that shit (laughs) they're not gonna write you a ticket they're gonna bust in your door kill your dog so i was freaked out over all of that now I'm just hanging out, drinking a couple of beers, cooking dinner, and I gotta like look over my shoulder because I got post-traumatic stress disorder from the fucking FedEx guy who just shows up <laughs> at eight o'clock at night. Yeah. Cop knocks the door and runs away. Doo, doo, doo. It's like, fuck, is it a new trash can? Then, or am I about to get killed by a SWAT team? What the fuck is going on? Jack's am I listening to Johnny too. Cash too loud? <laughs> Jax loses his shit too, which doesn't help. Like immediately starts like growling at the door. I'm like, everybody just settle down. Yeah, we Kristen finally put the you know, the pieces together last night on that shit. She goes, oh, I figured out why he's so nervous. He's been living with you his entire life. Oh, no, I knew that already. It's definitely your fault. He's so anxious. I don't get why Max is so anxious, though, because I feel like mine comes in waves. Yeah. You're just constantly anxious. So yeah. bipolar I, disorder. I don't feel like I mean, I've traumatized Max to the level that he should be shitting on my bed. No. <laughs> like, I just like that he still shits on your side. Like, I've scared him so much he blames you. He pees on your side. He so. pees on my part of the couch. So, yeah. Yeah, our 70s couch. <laughs> Isn't this an appealing, we're adult enough to get married conversation? <laughs> One up. bedroom apartment, two people, three animals. One of them's constantly urinating on stuff. Doesn't that make oh, you? One's trying to kill everything. <laughs> no, that cracked me up when we uh, had that Zoom chat with your mom and yeah. Ben, and uh, which we talked about that already on the podcast. We drunkenly filled out the application <laughs> for the on purpose. Yeah. For the marriage license. We didn't get drunk and then do it. We were going to do it anyway. And then we got drunk and did it then. Yeah. We were going to do it the next morning. And then I just pulled it up just to show them. Because I was just like, oh, look. Like, the application. Like, cute moment. Like, we're going to apply for this tomorrow. And then we were drunk. And we're like, fuck it. Let's do it now. And then (laughs) had to drunk dial Becky to find out information neither of us knew. Yeah. Old family friend. Second mom to this dude. But it cracked me up when we were on the Zoom call the next morning and we were telling your family about it and Ben was like well that's a good decision to make <laughs> he was just like so not having it I love my brother he's just... 
He's fucking... It's like, well, you guys are fucking brilliant, aren't yeah, you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he... he for you, those of you who don't know, my brother and I'm not going to disclose, like, a whole shitload about the dude. But to give you, like, a concept of how fucking smart this guy is, he graduates top of his class. He's, like, the fucking band leader dude with the sticks that's really important. He's like student council, you know, straight A. It, I, it, imagine me and then imagine the complete opposite trajectory academically, and you have been. Very smart guy with a yeah. very dry sense of humor. Got like a full ride for like medical bio research type shit, like bioengineering. Like had a full ride for that. Said, fuck that, moved to England so he could learn a whole new system of law at a collegiate level at the Oxford Satellite School, whose name I can't remember right now. So, <laughs> went off, did all of that, came out fine, and is now pursuing his life in law in England. Um, has the driest sense of humor of anybody I've ever met, but mm. it's, it's punishing. It hurts you. <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he says things, it's just. Oh, I remember we were having a big family dinner once, and my other brother uh, is lactose intolerant, and we're all just kind of sitting around the table. <clears throat> and uh, it, it comes up that the other brother is lactose intolerant, and uh, he's pouring cheese onto potatoes as he's saying this. And Ben goes, What about the cheese? He goes, Oh, no, I'm fine with cheese. And Ben just looks at him and he goes, Cheese. Famously not a dairy product. (laughs) (laughs) That one sentence I will never be able to forget. I don't remember what we talked about for the rest of the evening. But I know me and my dad were cry laughing into whatever the fuck we were eating that night. (laughs) Jeez. Famously not a dairy product. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Good decision to make while drunk. Oh, other big um, life things, I guess, while we're on this trajectory. Oh. I quite like this. Um, Kristen and I are going to try to get back in school. Exciting. Very exciting Stressful. stuff. Trying to get into one of the best master's programs uh, there is for our career field, Probably or my career field at least. hate myself for the next few years. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's a two-year. I feel like I can do that. Like, I did four years of bachelor's in yeah. English, double-sided. So, like, yeah, I, I read one... more books than most people read in a lifetime in four years. So, a two-year program, I'm like, I feel like I can nut my way through that. Yeah, that one extra year on mine has me going, God damn it. Like, you don't really have to. <laughs> <laughs> goes, why do I have to do that? And it's like, because I don't need to learn how to operate a pencil. <laughs> I don't need to figure that out. Like, there's not too many programs you need to teach a writer. You just have to teach storytelling. Yeah, we're both looking at the master's program at the college here. Uh, I haven't done as much research into yeah. my programs. So I don't know quite as much about it. Brett's is very um, competitive, though. Yeah. So. Out of the entire country, 50 people get into this program. And only 25 into the specific branch of the 20. program. Yeah. Oh, 20? I, to get into the fiction side for the MFA. There's the rain. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to think that this is, you know, part yoga. <laughs> this, is our, this is our calm meditative hour yeah, with our fountain. Yeah, it's 20 people for fiction, 20 people for poetry, 10 people for nonfiction. So out of the entire country, or people that apply out of the entire country, uh, I have to be in the best 20 to do it. So 
my thought was, um, those chances suck ass, but I don't have my MFA right now either. So well, on the plus side too. Oh. You can keep talking, but the storm's kicking up, and I don't have the little thingy on the grill. Oh. Yeah. Should we I'll pause? Be no, I'll be right back. I can oh. hear you. I was just going to say, on the plus side, um, too, the application process doesn't even open until um, the end of this year, and then you have until, I think it's the beginning of next year, or Brett does anyway, the beginning of next year to apply. So we've got you know, a good half year at least to kind of get everything together and make sure that the application's impressive. We've kind of been working on that already a little bit, then trying to add our podcast stuff to IMDb and... Yeah, you've been doing that almost every day. Yeah, it's, we have a lot of episodes. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> Wish we would have known about this back when we started. Yeah. As opposed no. to trying to upload hundreds of these, or no. a hundred and some odd. I was looking at Joe Rogan's because they have his, as like the kind of sample for how to do it listed on the actual IMDb of course like, they do. <laughs> question and answer section. They link um, to specific things every time like if you're adding a movie or a music video or whatever, they always link like a sample yeah. to go look at and Joe Rogan's is the sample they have for podcasts and it's like, got over a thousand episodes on <laughs> his and I'm like, Good God, is that mm-hmm. is that poor Jamie adding all those? That's like who does every that? Fucking day. Who does yeah. that? <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> no, I can't imagine it. But yeah, we're up on the IMDb. Uh, what I, I couldn't hear you as well as I thought I could on the patio because the wind. <laughs> no, I was saying, um, I guess thankfully, even though your program is a bit more competitive, mm-hmm. we've got like almost half a year to kind of sort it out because yeah. the application process doesn't even start till the end of the year and you have through the beginning of next I've year. have got to come up with a writing sample and that novella that I've been saving, I think I'm going to use that as my writing sample the... or a section. The one that we... The one in the school? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I like that one a I'm lot. I'm thinking think about cleaning one. that up because I already have that rough draft. Nobody's read it. It's not published anywhere right now. I've read it. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, people that read it on the website, but it's not available right this yeah. second, so I can fix it. Yeah. Maybe put it back up and then uh, put it in my master's packet. I do like that one quite a Just bit. Just a section a of it. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have our short film that I really want to do done by then, <laughs> so hopefully that's my... Gotta finish the one we're on now, yeah. and then we gotta do the cooking one. Yeah, <laughs> but the one that I really want to do before the end of the year, I think is ideally, in my mind, gonna be our best one. I'm very excited about mm-hmm. that one, so hopefully we'll have it done by then. I am a so thousand percent down. I am very hopeful that that one Ooh. is going to be... We could tie that one into this one. Not the one that you're editing right now, but the one that I've still gotta write. Oh, what do you, how so? Because it all takes place in the same location. Wait, what? No, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant the one I was editing and the next one. I was like, they have nothing to do with each no, other. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll revisit that on you. But. <laughs> yeah, these are secret secrets you guys can't know about for now. But I'm very excited about both of them. The next one and that one, but I like that one in particular. My goal is to send that one to festivals, so yeah. more prestigious stuff to put on your master's application. Goddamn right, and your best chance right now to you know get into the festivals and all that shit. People that are used to working with crews don't have crews to work with, so <laughs> there's going to be a huge dead space in entertainment, and I think guerrilla filmmaking is going to be the way to go, much as the way podcasting overtook the radio. We don't need those big fucking companies. Fuck Universal which one of them had the Weinstein dude 
you know, that's, that's who runs that shit. I don't rape starlets. So I'm doing better. Than, that might be paramount. I, I don't know. I don't know which company it is for legal reasons. I don't want to accuse any of you of raping starlets, but I'm assuming he wasn't the only one out there raping starlets. <laughs> that's a good aggressive turn. I was like, technically you do... Sleep with your co-workers, though, because we are married, or getting married. Yeah. I have, I, it's consensual. You can, you know, go to my HR department about it. I, I Is that also me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are a, a two-person production company slash film crew. God damn it. Don't need nobody else. Um, and I officially have my job. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of stresses over the past, since we got here. Um, I've been a temp and I put in for my job and somehow not gotten my job and like then put times. in for my job and then I didn't get my job and then I got an extension and now I've officially got my job. Health insurance? Health insurance. I've, I've got dental for the first time since Japan. Like I get somebody to look at my gums and just go, Brett, you have to stop smoking. And also you drink very black coffee. So that yeah, probably doesn't Very black either. coffee, very acidic beer. My teeth are probably falling out of my head at this point. But... Yeah, I get to go look at one, or they, I get to go see one. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you just gonna stare at them through the window of the like, zoo. So you exist. Please explain to me how this was your life dream. What kind of fucked up pornography oh. are you into, sir? Oh. What is that? Shoot, what is that Bruce Willis movie that has? The guy, you have no idea what I'm talking about, I bet. It's a, it's Bruce Willis. Yeah, my brain goes to Die Hard. I'm trying to connect yeah. Die Hard to dentistry. Well, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Willis isn't a dentist. Bruce Willis is an assassin. Red. And then, is that what it's called? Yep, it's got... Uh, the dude from Friends Malkovic. is a dentist. It's got Malkovic in it. Oh, no. No. You're thinking of The Hangover. No. There, that also has a dentist in it. Okay, no. I'm running out of films no. I know that have no. dentists. The Longest Yard. Wow, you didn't open up with they play football in prison. Oh wait, no, shoot, no. Okay, not the longest yard. It's something very similar to that name. Sorry, I always get those two confused. It's like all you remembered from the longest yard. You didn't remember Chris Bruce Rock Willis getting isn't even in the Chris longest Ro- yard. Chris Rock getting blown up with his radio. You didn't remember. Okay, okay. whatever. It's a title very similar to the longest yard. Then because I always got those two confused. I remember that. But no, Bruce Willis is like an assassin character, okay. and then one of the dudes that was in the TV show Friends plays a dentist, and then his wife hires Bruce Willis to have him killed. But the running joke alongside that is dentists have a very high suicide rate, so he already <laughs> kind of wants to die anyway. No, which... I have no fucking idea. <laughs> it's a what hilarious you're about. movie. But I thought that that was funny that you thought it was a prison football <laughs> film. It's it's a title similar to The Longest Yard. I know that for a fact. It's something yard or something. The ugliest tooth. What no. The... <laughs> yeah, it's actually a pretty funny. Or I haven't seen it in years. Is it, it called Cavity? Funny. Cavity oh, would be a good no. name. But, yeah, they end up being friends because Bruce Willis' character actually really kind of likes him. So he doesn't want to kill so him. So it is like a comedy type thing? Yeah, like, I like guess a dark comedy, yeah, because she hires him to kill him. And then he ends up being friends with him. Have you seen Red? Because Red is much better. No. <laughs> well, you haven't seen this movie. How do you know? Because uh, it's got Bruce Willis and Malkovic and, like, fucking... No. Alkovic's, um, or Malkovic. Malkovich. I have no fucking idea. Uh, plays, like, a one of those LSD experiment soldiers, but now he's old, 
and his brain is just fried from fucking years of government experimentation with LSD, but he's like a super fucking assassin. You know, he's like the Manchurian candidate, but he's like lives like there's an abandoned car in the woods and they like open up the hood and then they have to like walk downstairs to like get to his underground bunker and he's fucking completely fried that's out. Funny. <laughs> so that's how I know it's better than your dumb dentist movie because I remember the name. Yeah, well, screw you. Okay? I'm gonna look it up. It was a good movie. You're a butt. I snorted. <laughs> You're so mean to me. Mm-mm. 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 Yeah, I got my job. <laughs> Congratulations. So I got dental. Um, and now I have to figure out a way to cheat the system so I could work at work the way that I used to work at work. Because now I'm, well, I basically got it figured out. Because of the apocalypse, I become a door greeter a couple of days of the week. My sole job is to sit outside. And yell at people who try to come in. Yell at people when they try to come in. <laughs> and in the meantime, I can have my laptop, my manuscript. If it's not too windy, if it is too windy, I just sit out there and read a book. <laughs> there you go. Sit there with my notepad. I just get yelled at people all day. Yeah, there's. you live in a Big Brother-type building. I, yeah, you that's lived. true. That, that was a weird slip <laughs> of the tongue you live in that building. <laughs> I mean, I'm there quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> You work in a building where there's cameras, and they're like, if you so much as look at your phone, we're going to chop your head off in the public square. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. Yeah, there, are, there are cameras on every inch of that building, though, so yeah, I am only working at work. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm doing. My trick out there for you guys where they do allow texting, bring a book. Fuck texting. Um, and then if they yell at you, like, oh, you've got time to read a book and you don't have time to work, you just go, they have time to look at Facebook, I don't have time to read, I'm bettering myself, fuck you. Uh, speaking of books you've been reading. Well, there's a segue. Um, <laughs> the whole point of today's podcast was originally, in my brain, going to be about continuing our conversation um, about Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, uh, which I, I fucking love. I'm going to finish it this week. I'm very excited about that. And I've got a few excerpts I thought we could go over like we did on the last Friday episode. I don't think I've heard any of these. We haven't talked about it since the last time we did a podcast. I've, I've probably read you one or two of these. Um, the first one, I've got the 25th anniversary paperback, just if you're trying to figure out how to reference these things if you want to do it yourself. That's bizarre. That's how strong the wind here is. It just blew and shut the blinds. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But it's the opening to the chapter that's called The Moral Point of View. Mm-hmm. And it kind of talks about finding your center truth uh, for your work. And I thought we could discuss that for a minute. While we have this very zen background. Well, see, down. that was the whole point. So <laughs> I was sitting here and I was like searching articles and I just heard this cold. You know, not cold, 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 quiet. You know? <clears throat> and I was like, the book's kind of meditative, so I thought we could go over that. Um, and it says, if you find that you start a number of stories or pieces that you don't ever bother finishing, that you lose interest or faith in them along the way, it may be that there is nothing at their center about which you care passionately. You need to put yourself at their center you and what you believe to be true or right. 
The core ethical concepts in which you most passionately believe are the language in which you are writing. Okay. I'm going to close the balcony, sorry. We may have to repeat that passage. Do they not understand how art works? No, it's just rude. If you find that you start a number of stories or pieces that you don't ever bother finishing, that you lose interest or faith in them along the way, it may be that there is nothing at their center about which you care passionately. You need to put yourself at their center, you and what you believe to be true or right. The core, ethical concepts in which you most passionately believe are the language in which you are writing. These concepts probably feel like givens, like things no one has ever had to make up. That there have been true, that, that have been true, through all cultures and for all time. Telling these truths is your job. You have nothing else to tell us. But needless to say, you can't tell them in a sentence or a paragraph. The truth does not come in bumper stickers. There may be a flickering moment of insight in a one-liner and a sound bite, but everyday meat and potato truth is beyond our ability to capture in a few words. Your whole piece is the truth, not just one shining epigrammatic moment of it. Epigrammatic moment in it. <laughs> there will need to be some kind of unfolding in order to contain it, and there will need to be layers. We are dealing with the ineffable here. We're out there somewhere between the known and the unknown, trying to reel in both for a closer look. This is why it may take a whole book. I like that. That's pretty. Fucking beautiful. But, like, what I, and I've got a further one that we'll do here in a minute. But by finding your center truth, I guess, what she's talking about, you know, and again, read the book. She explains it a lot better than I do. I'm just trying to open up some sort of a dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I look down at my note and it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, guys. We had to pause there a minute ago and now those dogs are fucking freaking out. Yeah, okay. everybody's being cray-cray. We were just talking about how calm it was. I'm going to go back to just being relaxed. Let's do that. Let's just <laughs> sit back and, you know, forget yes. what we were talking about. Fuck us and our artistic project, God. Because <laughs> <laughs> we tried to plan it. We were organically flowing, and then I tried to purposely Shift us in, in yeah. and then the whole world turned yeah. to chaos. Tried to purposely shift you into talking about <clears> the book, and yeah, the atmosphere was like, no, let's... Let's have an organic conversation. Jax, please calm down. Okay, I get it. You're you're upset. That's fine. Um, but I think that if you have like a center truth to what you're working on, um, like the second rough draft that I have that I need to get back to about pedophile serial murder. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Not quite a zen of a conversation. Well, it was about to be a lot calmer, and then I completely lost my train of thought, and now I'm just trying to rein it back into what I was talking about. <laughs> um, if you have, like, a central theme to your work, and that's not to say that theme is the most essential, you know, and to me, at least, and people feel differently about uh, what is the most essential part, I think it's character. It's more than plot. Like, if I care about the person I'm reading about, I don't care if they have an arc. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like people are willing to watch movies or read stories about characters that they love doing mundane things because they love the character. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would agree that characters are probably the most essential part because you could have mm-hmm. a compelling story and if you have garbage characters that you can't invest in, the story always kind of loses yeah. its meaning a bit. But you need to implant within that character like some degree of what you want to write about. Like You have to look at it like this might be a story about Sarah is in a car going to the supermarket and she can't stop herself from crying, you know? And then you reveal near the end why she couldn't hold back the tears in the supermarket. Like, but... God damn it, I had it and now it's floating around and it's like I'm trying to reach it. Um... I don't know, love. Um, no, but the, I, no, the secondary I reading. No, I, get, I get where you're going with it. I, like, I think, period, with any work, if you don't personally care mm-hmm. about the work, you're not really going to invest into it. So I, to me, I guess that's what it means to have like works that are personal truths to you. Like if it's something that you believe in or something. Well, you're writing it for a reason. Yeah. And so when you get stuck, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like if you get stuck in your work, as she says, if you find yourself constantly starting over again and not finishing anything, um, you have to like treat your brain like you're your own fucking psychologist. You mm-hmm. know, sit there with yourself and go, why do I want to write this? Why won't this go away? Yeah. I have a TV show in my brain it is based on a concept album, and I recently had a whole other way of thinking about it that I, I think I could actually do. Um, but there's a reason why that album resonates with me. There's a reason why I think that there's a story behind it that needs to be told right now. And I know what the central theme is. And after like battling with that for a year and a half or so, you know, I've, I've, I've written the pilot a couple of times you know trying to get it to move and then I get stuck and because I can see it in flashes but I don't know how to line it up knowing that there is a central truth to it now it's not like holy shit people are going to judge me for it it's like holy shit they're going to judge my thoughts on this you know like I don't know does it make you feel more vulnerable in your work when you realize that it's like more deeply personal to you. Well, I've I've known that it's always like deeply personal because you don't you don't pick up the pen unless there's a reason. Like I wrote the nightmare box in my dad's room when he was in the hospital. I finished it. He died. You know, like and now I'm going back to it and I'm having to deal with those same things and I find myself getting stuck trying to write to fill in the gaps of all the chapters that I've killed. And maybe I was just too close at one point, you know, like I didn't understand. And now it's accepting that this is why I set out to write this fucking thing. And am I brave enough to finish it? Am I brave enough to run that fucking meditative exercise where it's like, you're going to want to kill yourself every time you sit down behind that computer because you're writing words and half the time they're going to be bullshit, you know? 
I have a whiteboard. We clean it like once a month and 99% of the things that go on the whiteboard never wind up fucking anywhere. So I just stare at them and I go, I was hammered when I wrote those two sentences. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll revisit the whiteboard later because they come up. They offshoot ideas sometimes to other things. Like even if All the time because yeah. we, we sit and eat dinner you know, pretty consistently at the kitchen table. Uh, since we moved into the one bedroom, a lot more at the couch, just because it's more comfortable. Because Kristen doesn't have a back to her chair. <laughs> but when we eat at the kitchen table and we're drinking wine, we'll just look up and read a sentence and be like, "You know what would be really cool?" <laughs> then we keep them. But we'll come back to that because I've got a whole section on that. Sure. Um, so. The next thing, it's in the same chapter. It's only a few pages later. That last one was 97, 98. This is page 101, so it's just moving a little bit down the line. Um, and she's talking about a moral position and how it differentiates um, from that center truth. Like, if I want to come out kind of, but we'll, we can put yeah, we'll talk about it. So a moral position is not a message. A moral position is a passionate caring that's inside of you. We are all in danger now and have a new everything to face. And there is no point in gathering an audience and demanding its attention unless you have something to say that is important and constructive. My friend Carpenter says, we no longer need Chicken Little to tell us that the sky is falling because it already has. The issue now is how to take care of one another. I like that. It's a very poetic sounding like every passage you read like the whole book the whole book is very poetic like the the the, i i can't take anything away from Anne. i need to read more of her writing because she's fucking incredible that's why i insist that we read these passages but that felt very coronavirus you know time worthy Mm -hmm. it's like everything that mattered you know six months ago um and in America, fucking a month ago, even in the middle of the pandemic, since the George Floyd, you know, murder. <laughs> um, basically, my entire life. Like, I was born in 91. You were born in 88. Um, yeah. I'm a loving husband. I remember <laughs> the year. What, what day is my birthday? Uh, so, <laughs> since, the, since the George Floyd murder. <laughs> but our whole lives have been struck with turmoil. You see what uh-huh. I mean? Like, born in the middle of the Iraq War. Clinton presidency. He's getting blowjobs and getting you know kicked out of office. My dad was in Bosnia and Kosovo and Iraq and Afghanistan and Somalia. Like, all those fucking shit old... Um, 9-11 happens in the fifth grade. Fucking Katrina. <laughs> Just an ebb and flow of fucking chaos. A pandemic. Yeah. So no, I don't need you to tell me the sixth grade teacher got her heart broken um, by the banker or whatever the room was about. <laughs> I do think... I, I think... Whenever you're doing an artistic work, though, we don't necessarily have to directly address these huge, like, moments that have happened in our lives, per se. Like, I think we could talk about 
if I was gonna do a movie about, um, I don't know, a character that was like coping with all this like fear and paranoia and like had become very isolated and all this stuff, like I think you could kind of in passing, well not literally in passing, but like more indirectly like connect that this character is this person because they went through like this pandemic yeah. for instance you know I, I no there's a way to write about yeah. it like i don't think you have to make it strictly about well the coronavirus happened and then this character is yeah. you know this character that's living in this situation i think i trust stories like that like the same way when i'm going through the non-fiction section and a week and a half after a president's been elected or jeffrey epstein gets killed there's automatically a novel or oh, not yeah. a novel like, but a, yeah, a non-fiction book New York Times best-selling yes, book about right all the secrets that you need about Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. But it's like, I, I, I don't think there's been a trial. <laughs> and we're not 100% sure that dude's dead. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I let's, like, let's let it breathe. <laughs> I like when you get to introduce a character that has these complex emotions or these complex, complex issues that they're struggling with. And we see them in that struggle or dealing with whatever and we can kind of learn as the work goes along why yeah. so like i knew well actually i didn't know when i first met you because we met in class um and you know you kind of <laughs> you kind of only Which really get poetic to... <laughs> pointed out to me yesterday i'm gonna use someplace <laughs> i you can only really get to know someone i guess on a surface-ish level when you're only spending time with each other in the classroom but then we started like talking and texting and actually like physically hanging out in yeah. person and i knew that there's a whole like, casket you... filled with unwanted dick pics <laughs> <laughs> i i knew that you had like anxiety issues weird and thing stuff is she like was that. sending them to me I didn't... Uh, shut up <laughs> that is not true i knew like anxiety issues and stuff um fairly early into us like actually hanging out but like getting to know you as a person the more time we've spent together like kind of getting to like know what your life has been like and what your story is like kind yeah. of puts all of that stuff in context looks like my own like anxiety issues so it's it's nice when you have an actual work that realistically embodies a character in that way like there is some kind of like thing that's happened or some kind of moral struggle or whatever that a character is dealing with but we don't know why up front you kind of get to discover it like you would in real life as you get to know the person yeah so i i don't think if you're gonna write i'm not saying you literally you as universal artists like i don't think if you're gonna write the pandemic book or shoot the pandemic movie you literally have to make a work about the pandemic you can it has to be deeper yeah about like people's relationships or yeah. struggles or it can't be we all watched tiger king like, <laughs> like that's on the table like you don't need to tell me that like we lived that mm -hmm. like imagine a dystopia post coronavirus slash murder hornets slash race riots slash <laughs> it's kind of like about the next movie that we haven't like put together yet though it's like a i feel like anyway it's going to be kind of a raw look at like what that struggle is before you realize like this is what we're dealing with you yeah. know so like i, I kind of like that that it's a much more human experience it's, before and there's no blood there is no blood. Nobody has to die. <laughs> well, kind of, but... <laughs> Nobody dies Nobody dies. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. That's my takeaway for that. If you're... 
your story doesn't have to be solely focused on whatever the issue is or whatever the struggle is. Like, I agree, like, characters are kind of the yeah. driving force of most stories, and I want to know the character more intimately than... And you should know yourself. Yeah. You should know your own centered truth. It, like, in life and in general. It's what I love so much about this book. Is like, it, it, it teaches you life lessons as it's teaching you writing lessons. So you need to know what it is that drives you and accept that and live your life according to that. Now, that's not saying, you know, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, me personally, a Libertarian. I see it as a meditative practice. I don't agree with hurting people that aren't hurting anybody. Ice cream drives me. That's my driving yeah. force. <laughs> so let ice cream drive you. I'm teasing. If alcohol drives you, let it drive you to the grave. <laughs> Fucking, you know, live your life. But if you're driven by film or you're driven by writing, then you're not going to be a very good banker. <laughs> you know? Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to be a good florist if you don't give a shit about flowers, you know? And it works on the opposite wavelength. Like, if, it, it, if you're pretending to be something that you're not, you're, and you are an artist, you want to mm -hmm. paint things for a living, and they've got you selling washing machines at Home Depot, <laughs> dive into what you are, you know, is another way that I like to Which look at that. Which I think is that. why... People it's not that, just writing characters, it's your character. Yeah. Which I think is why people that are in any of the arts that are always like talking about how much money they can make or when are they going to start making money or blah, blah, blah. That's like, hilarious if you follow some Facebook pages. Yeah. You will watch people give up faster than fat people in a planet Because they realize they're not going to be making a bunch of money. <laughs> You're like, you mean every day is now Pizza Friday? It's like, no. Sometimes, I work out at Planet you Fitness, you shut weights. up. You shut up. I work out. Sometimes you gotta lift weights and hate yourself. Like sometimes that works. <laughs> yeah, I, like that always cracks me up with like people like that because it's like if money, I think in any profession is your driving factor, then you're fucked. I don't think you're. Oh, well, I mean, I'm you're not, gonna take the first job that gives you money. I'm not saying you can't be successful, but I think even if, like, for instance, you. Like money, money, not like, I mean, I've whored myself out for $35. We've well established this. You know? Well, no, I'm not saying you can't but be, I mean, like, like you, super successful. Like, I did it in my genre. Like, I, I produced a work and got underpaid for it. It was basically what happened. <laughs> no, well, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not saying you can't be super successful. Like, if your dream is to be a celebrity hairstylist or something crazy like that, you know, I'm not saying you can't possibly achieve that dream, but if your goal is to literally be famous and rich like i don't think at the end of the day when you go home you're gonna feel personally fulfilled no that's the problem like, it's yeah. what all the rich people say like i i think you're gonna that's what go i love home about keanu reeves vacant. and jim carrey where it's like yeah i'm the same shithead <laughs> yeah, okay. like i think forever, i buy the same amount of things i ever bought i can just buy more expensive things <laughs> yeah, well, i think if your goal is money though that's going to be forever your way of fulfilling your life is buying expensive things. no they say that the the top that you can feel as far as money is $60,000 a year. Who says that? It, I'd have to look up the research, but I've heard Where that. Where are the facts, Brett? I've heard it a bunch, so you feel free. There might be 50. 
but you reach a point where you have a big enough house that you can comfortably vacuum all mm -hmm. of the floors and comfortably, you know, Windex all the windows, and almost anything past 60 is almost like a burden. No, I, for the first time, like, ever in yeah, my adult... Yeah, if you make $60,000 as a writer, you're working your fucking ass off. <laughs> so much applause. I'm not shaming people who have millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands or 75, you know? I, for the first time in my adult life, have a couple thousand in saving, and, uh... Yeah, I've got, I've got two grand, and I'm pretty comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I'm pretty stoked about it. I have no idea how I'm gonna retire, but I'm pretty stoked that I have a couple grand in savings See, right if now. if my car breaks down, I can buy another yeah. half-broken-down Jeep. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty awesome. I'm pretty, pretty on point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not adult. Which brings me... To my next one that I wanted to do, uh, which is all about confidence, and we, I thought we could have like a conversation about that whole situation. Uh, again, it's uh, three smaller paragraphs, page 105, the chapter's name, Broccoli. If you want to understand the chapter's name, go buy the book, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. Fucking brilliant. I like broccoli. Um, yeah, that's kind of the point of the chapter, is as you become an adult, you... Like broccoli? I'll never love Brussels sprouts, so oh, maybe yeah. rename this Brussels sprouts, but <laughs> you know, whatever. You get your confidence and intuition back by trusting yourself, by being militantly on your side, as I say, militant positivity. You need to trust yourself, especially on a first draft, where amid the anxiety and self-doubt, there should be a real sense of your imagination and your memories walking and wool gathering, tramping the hills, romping all over the place. Trust them. Don't look at your feet to see if you're doing it right. Just dance. You get your intuition back when you make space for it, when you stop the chattering of the rational mind. The rational mind doesn't nourish you. You assume that it gives you the truth because the rational mind is the golden calf that is this, uh, the golden calf that this culture worships. Sorry, I'm drunk. <laughs> but this is not true. Rationality squeezes out much that is rich and juicy and fascinating. Sometimes intuition needs coaxing because intuition is a little shy. But if you try not to crowd it, intuition often wafts up from the soul or subconscious and then becomes a tiny, fitful little flame. It will be blown out by too much compulsion and manic attention, but will burn quietly when watched with gentle concentration. Mm. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, like, I was thinking earlier... Um, about that. And as was well established, I believe, maybe the best setup, thank you, uh, fucking Krishna, uh, <laughs> for the barking dogs and the angry neighbor and the fucking wind and the rain and all the <laughs> scary things. Um, I was thinking about that earlier and just thinking, like, what, like, where do you land as an artist to, like, learn to trust yourself, like, beyond the page but like in your actual life as like I think well established uh, anxious and insecure as we are <laughs> like how do you how do you, 
How did fuck did we wind up in Montana getting married in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> in a green goddamn suit? Uh, <laughs> I I I don't have a concrete answer because I guess I'm still mm-hmm. trying to get there myself. But like I think for me anyway, when you embrace challenging moments or weird moments or uncertain moments in life as opportunities instead of uh, I don't know like hurdles you have to overcome um, I think when you when you view each new step that comes at you as an opportunity to grow or learn as a person it makes it a little easier to be like okay well I'm going to this is just when what just is focus on yeah yeah it's like opposed to looking at your feet as she says yeah like this just is what is and i'm going to accept this challenge and going to come out on the other side of this challenge one way or another regardless of how it ends up so i think especially since we've started our production company and like actually started doing movies and stuff again like i have kind of accepted I guess they're not going to be perfect. Yeah, yeah, I've accepted that each of these movies isn't going to be my, you know, Oscar breakout moment. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's not going to be the movie that I'm known for. It's not going to be my Oscar winner. And eventually, ideally, if um, we start pulling in more attention, these are probably going to be movies people make fun of later as like being amateur. But thank you, Tommy was so. The room has inspired me so much. Like, I'm not even going to (laughs) lie. But they're stepping stones to whatever the next opportunity is. So for me, it's like I know for a fact going into it, this is not going to be the best work I'm ever going to do. And I'm okay with that because there's something to learn here and something to take away from this. And I'll take it into whatever the next um, situation is. So I, I... I think when I was in school and I was literally being graded for my work and we were all having to present it together and everybody was watching my work. Such an anxious environment. Yeah, Yeah, like I felt really vulnerable and exposed and like, oh, I didn't do a good job and I should have done this differently, I should have done that differently. And then there were a couple of students in my class whose work was, not that my work was bad by any means, but whose work was well beyond my work because they had better equipment and they'd had more time doing it and it just turned out better and I'd be like, fuck. Like, I, I need to step up my game. I'm not doing that good. And, like, now that I'm, like, working more on a, I guess, professional level and, like, just doing work for myself and, like, putting work out there, like, to me it feels a bit more like I'm just practicing and moving forward. Yeah. So, I guess for me that's where you kind of center the anxious feeling and the doubt is, like, go into it as an opportunity for growth and learning and like it's a stepping stone to whatever the next thing is so I'm okay with the fact that it may not be quite what I wanted it to be because next time around I'll know a bit more so that's why like I buy um I have no books that are fun books all of my my books are pretty much classroom I'm looking (laughs) I I, I, no bullshit I was looking for a book that I could buy you I was like what is the filmmakers fun book version of Stephen King's on writing or Anne Lamott's bird by bird where it's more than just the technicalities yeah filmmakers are a lot more technical turns out they're not writers or they'd be yeah. writers <laughs> yeah. i do own uh, I, I need stephen king to sit down with like he's dead he's dead too um the cohen brothers i don't fucking know <laughs> i was gonna be like 
that's why. I, Sit down with Kubrick. Up, oh, no Hitchcock. Eh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I like the books that you buy me. Like you bought me on writing poetry you bought books. Me, yeah, like you bought that. me poetry books, and I. It's bought the thing she brings up very early in the introduction. I judge people by how much poetry is in their house. Yeah, like I, I genuinely really enjoy poetry, and um, like all of my poetry books that I own, for the most part, you bought me. Like I bought myself. Shel Silverstein's collection because I yeah. still have that giving tree childlike no I don't own the giving tree actually I own his thicker collections but I, I still have that like childlike whimsy in mm-hmm. me so like I really appreciate Shell's work just because it is so whimsical Abstract. yeah it's like childhood Picasso yeah. yeah so I but like for the most part my books are not fun books all of mine are technical <laughs> books but I I buy them and read them and like I'm proud of this weird collection of really boring books that I own yeah. because to me it's, it's just like, like digital design <laughs> fifth edition it's yeah. like, oh, Jesus I, it's I'm... just a picture of some old man's hands on a fucking 1993 Windows keyboard but I'm, I'm proud of those books much in the same way your collection drastically overshadows mine but I'm yeah proud we've of... taken a picture I've filled five large boxes Kristen filled one medium box <laughs> But I'm proud of my books because, again, they're like stepping yeah. stones into whenever I'm done with this. Like, I will know how to do whatever the skill is for my next thing. So I guess for me, like, being comfortable in the fact that this stage of my life and hopefully every stage of my life moving forward is a growth stage. Yeah. Um, is how I kind of try to combat, like, that anxiety when I see other people's work that's better I see my own work and I'm a little disappointed and it's like well this is a growth stage you know like I what do I take away from this moment so how about you Brad Bloom how do you combat the the inner voices of doubt I don't. I think I let them ruin my life. <laughs> I think that's the nice thing about no, our relationship, though. I feel like I, we kind of I, I'm bounce a, I'm a off writer. Of each other. I'm very, very sensitive. I'm not technical at all. I feel very raw all the time. I don't understand how normal people like deal with society. Like people that have no artistic expression at all. Like they don't even like rake their garden like once a week. Like. Those kind of people bug me, you know, like, they're very rigid. Like our Walmart nemesis, that oh. bastard. <laughs> it's like, dude, you can't even just, you know. It'd be hilarious if he listens to that sh- or the show and that's why he doesn't like you. That might be it. <laughs> Fuck him if he does. Like, I don't, I don't like him either. We're on, we're on fucking even playing ground. I, no, I think I'm driven a lot by... by the, Rage. I think there's a lot of. I, I I was born out of fractured people, like into a fractured home, into a fractured society. <laughs> the whole country started falling apart. I was born in '91. Uh, it fell apart when I was in the fifth grade, in 2001. You know, I was being raised in just outside of Nashville when the race relations in the country completely flipped. There's been no stability. So I feel like a petulant, angry 15-year-old <laughs> most of my days. I just wake up and I'm like, okay, well, I'm here and 
something's gonna piss me off today, so let's fucking rock and roll. Like, my writing comes out of that because my life used to just be that. And I gave myself permission to do it on the page so I would stop beating people up in parking lots. Probably a good choice. <laughs> it, it just it, it became so fucking frustrating trying to like push myself into this thing that I knew that I wasn't that I never was gonna be. I think that's where the writing comes from. It's like I, I have control here. I used to want control everywhere. I am old enough now, and I'm well medicated, and I'm been through enough therapy to understand that I can't have control everywhere else, but I can control the page. I can't control what ever fucking, and if you don't write, this is going to sound like the most schizophrenic shit ever, but I can't control whatever channel you reach into when you're writing, where you pull out the ideas, but I have to assume it has a lot to do like with what the Buddhists experience when they meditate. And you're just sitting in silence with your thoughts. You start pontificating fucking women with eight arms and a dick, and they like sever the whole planet's head. And you know, like people are holding up planets with their hands, and Jesus died on a cross. Like, I have to assume <laughs> that it's not insane, but I give it a title. I'm a writer, I'm not nuts. <laughs> come up with shit on the drop of a hat but kind of on that note is my second part of the reading that I wanted to do which is a few pages later it's on page 107 writing is about hypnotizing yourself into believing in yourself getting some work done than unhypnotizing yourself and going over the material coldly there will be many mistakes which are made <laughs> there will be many mistakes, many things to take out and others you need to be added. Just aren't always going to make the right decision. My friend Terry says that when you need to make a decision in your work or otherwise, and you don't know what to do, just do one thing or the other. Because the worst that can happen that you will have made a terrible mistake. So let the plot go left in this one place instead of right, or let your character decide to go back to her loathsome, passive-aggressive husband. Maybe it was the right thing, maybe not. And if not, go back and try something else. Some of us tend to think that what we do and say and decide and write are cosmically important things, but they're not. If you don't know which way to go, keep it simple. Listen to your broccoli. Maybe it'll know what to do. Then, if you've worked in good faith for a couple of hours but cannot hear it today, have some lunch. <laughs> I mean, that's been my, I think, since we started doing short films again, kind of my practice like there have been days where i've been editing and i've been like what the fuck like none of this is working like it all looks yeah. terrible it doesn't sync up like this is the worst thing i've ever shot and then i'll let it 
sit for a day or two or sometimes a week and then I'll come back to it later. I'm like, oh, if I change this to this, it. it would all be fine. Where you're like visibly upset. You're like, this doesn't work. I don't know what the fuck. Like, it's like a feeling of being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And then like whenever you take like a breather from it and come back, it's almost like seeing it through fresh eyes because mentally you're probably in a different state than you were the last time you were sitting there so when you come back to it it's almost like having another person sitting there with you going mm-hmm. hey like just adjust this one thing and that's it's gonna be good. fine that's bad you can look at it coldly you yeah know? so yeah like I, I have found especially in the editing process not so much the shooting process but in the editing yeah having a breather sometimes I'll come back and I'll be like oh like this is actually way easier than I thought it was gonna be <laughs> I love that. And then the last thing that I I, I kind of wanted to bring up, sorry, we're pushing against time, but and I don't have anything in the entire chapter because it was a chapter that was brought to me with Arroyo and I didn't underline anything. Um, but it's about the importance of index cards. Oh, there is one really cool scene though, so if you want to help me out. One really cool scene in a book? Is that like it's watching the watching the cards. book? <laughs> <laughs> Is that like uh, what did I say? Reading a documentary? Yeah, reading a documentary, <laughs> as they say, an autobiography. It's like it's like a documentary, but in book format. All right, so this is, again, a bit longer one, and I'm going to cut the story in half just for the sake of time, Um, but it is still quite a bit long. She's talking about the importance of index cards, and she doesn't let you know what she has written on this index card until near the end, but basically, um, I think it was her aunt, if not, then whatever. Um, Write us an angry email. Yeah, uh, write me, Anne, please. I I love you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I believe it was her aunt. She bought this lemonade machine. Um, but she bought it because she was going through some sort of like retail therapy. Like she just wanted something new in the house. To I've it, been there. It, recently, we got a new trash can. <laughs> I didn't buy that. Somebody else bought that. No, but that's what tied me into remembering this particular story. So she gets this lemonade machine, but she doesn't know how the fuck to use it. Um, and does not put the lemons in. Isn't that kind of essential to lemonade? She was so overwhelmed. That's kind of the point okay. of the story. All right, so I'm going to pick it up about halfway through this story. It's pages long, so I'm sorry if I didn't do a good enough job in explaining it. But page 131 uh, of the chapter, Index Cards. So there we were in the kitchen, the five cousins and me, crowded around her at the sink as she proudly made the lemonade. She put the cold water in the pitcher, added ice cubes, lots of sugar, put the juicer lid on top, squeezed a dozen lemons, and then began to take glasses down from the cupboard. Wait! We older ones wanted to cry out. You haven't poured the lemon juice. Stop! Mistakes are being made! But she got out jelly glasses, plastic glasses, a couple of brilliant aluminum glasses, and poured seven servings. There were six anxious... There we were, six anxious black belt codependents unable to breathe with a longing 
for everything to be okay and for her to not feel sad anymore. She raised her glass to us as a toast and we all took sips from our sugary ice water and my aunt's hands were so lemony from cutting and squeezing all of those lemons that she must have tasted the lemon. We all stared at her helplessly as we drank our sugar water then smiled and raised our glasses like we were doing a soft drink commercial and held them out for more. I perfectly remembered, there on that salt marsh, the crummy linoleum of my aunt's kitchen floor, graying, beige, speckled with black, and how it wore away to all black near the sink and how at its most warm place rotten wood would show through. And how all those cousins, some so young they must have thought ice-cold sugar water was about as good as getting got, stood at the sink with us older kids in a ring around my aunt, and how close I felt to them all, how much a part of the wheel. It touches me so deeply, the poignancy of the crummy linoleum, of my aunt's pain and pride in her lemonade-making machine, of all the ways in which we try to comfort ourselves, of her wanting to make us better lemonade, of us wanting to make her better, the enthusiasm with which we drank and held out those glasses as if we were hoisting steins at Oktoberfest. And I hadn't remembered any of this in almost 25 years. Now... Maybe I'm not going to use it anywhere. All the index card says is the lemonade-making thing. But it's like a snippet from a movie, a vignette of a family in pain managing to survive. One of those rare moments when people's hearts are opened by disappointment and love. And for just a few minutes, against all odds... Everything is more or less okay. That's really pretty. <laughs> it's fucking beautiful. So I wanted to do that. Um, and we might have recorded our longest podcast yet, my love. How long is it? An hour 15 by the time we get through plugs, I believe. <laughs> it's a callback, though, to the whiteboard. Yeah. Which we said we were going to mention again. But yeah, we put our little flashes of our ideas on our whiteboard and i think that's uh we read at one point had postcards all over and i want to do that yeah. again all I over all of have, the walls I, I used to have a designated wall and now i don't have a designated wall for index cards but i carry a moleskin and with my wallet so when i have an idea at work i jot it down and sometimes you'll remember what you meant sometimes you won't but write it down is the writer's memoir or not memoir, writer's note, I guess, for that quote. But even if you're not a writer, I guess it means journal. <laughs> Go back, revisit. You never know where the inspiration is going to come yeah. from. Might be 25 years ago when your aunt tried to make you shitty lemonade. <laughs> Life and lemons, I'm sure there's a metaphor there, but... No man on earth has ever found the connection between life and lemons. <laughs> <laughs> However, my love, we are getting fucking married. Oh, 
are. And so, happy marriage day to us. <laughs> happy marriage day. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, sweetheart. I love you. I think we can afford to skip the plugs. Look us up. You'll find us everywhere. They're literally in the description. Yep. Love you. <laughs> love you. And I love you guys. I'm going to go make some stir fry. I'm hammered. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. You don't even know the fucking lyrics.